Um, I am so excited about the, the Word of God that, that I have for you, what God has given me to share with you. And so grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 24, the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter. Luke's actually the longest gospel. Matthew has more chapters. Luke has more words. How many, how many are my more words people? I'm a more chapters people. I'm a more words person. And then there are people that they, they don't need as many words, but they just break them into little chapters. You understand? And so Luke uh, is about a thousand words longer than Matthew, but less chapters. And so Luke is actually the longest gospel. And we're Matthew, tw- uh, sorry, Matthew in Luke 24 and Luke 24. And this is one of those, it's really kind of a, to be honest, to me, it, it kind of sticks out because it's, it's so unique in what happens in Luke chapter 24 because you have these, what the Bible identifies as two disciples and they are on a road to Emmaus from Jerusalem. They're traveling, they're taking a journey. This is actually the day that Jesus rose. And so they're disciples, but they left town. They don't, they don't actually know that Jesus has risen. And they're taking this 12, I'm sorry, seven mile journey from Jerusalem west to Emmaus. Uh, and they're just trying to wrap their head around everything that's gone on. And in the, in the midst of that, these two disciples, one identified as Cleop, Cleopas. Sorry, I always want to say it's not Cleopatra. But anyways, Cleopas, um, since we're in East Texas, we can call him Cletus or Cleo. And, um, and so Brother uh, Cleto, <laughs> Cleo is, is walking on this road to Emmaus. The other disciple is not mentioned. Most theologians assume it to be his wife, which seems to be safe because they end up in the same house. And so we're, we're just brother and sister Cleo, if you will. And so they're on this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Um, we have no other record of them in Scripture. It's the only place we see them. And it's kind of this interesting encounter that they have because as they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, Jesus just kind of shows up there, but they don't actually know it's him until the end. And so um, let's dive in together. I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning, but that's okay. If you missed your quiet time, I'm going to catch you up right now. And so Luke chapter 24, verse 13, it says, now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Come on, we're going to talk about sneaky Jesus today. Because you've heard of sovereign Jesus, powerful Jesus, good Jesus, happy Jesus. <laughs> you've heard of um, merciful Jesus and gracious Jesus. And today we're going to talk about sneaky Jesus. He's watching. They were kept from recognizing. And then Jesus asked them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they stopped and they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there these days? And then Jesus playing along. You got to love sneaky Jesus. What things? About Jesus, the Nazarene. Now they're talking to Jesus about Jesus. They replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Verse 21, though, look at this. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. 
In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his, his body, and they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Come on, we need to thank God for women right now because if it weren't for women, the disciples, it had been a week before they found out Jesus wasn't in the tomb. How many know women are going to get to the bottom of it? They're going to find out. The devil's in the details, and they want to know. The disciples were all hunkered down in a bunker, and the women were like, we got to go to the tomb. But thank God for women. Probably if you're a man and you're here, they dressed you, they fed you, they got your children ready. Men, you are missing an opportunity. I'm, t- I'm trying to set you up for some love on Resurrection Sunday, and you just totally missed it. Should have been a standing ovation for women right there, but that's okay. No, you missed it now. Nope, too late. <laughs> it doesn't count now. Your wife's like, yeah, I had to tell you to clap your hands. <laughs> um, then some of our, verse 24, some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how, all of a sudden, sneaky Jesus turns into like rude Jesus. He said, how foolish are you? How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, say, hey, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give to them. And then, and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared. Come on, sneaky Jesus. Rain and hide and seek champion right there. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's the ADD, but there's just a way I see scripture that he disappeared from their side. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 of those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two of them told what had happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. I want to talk to you on this Resurrection Sunday. I want to talk to you on this topic, the topic of resurrecting hope. Resurrecting hope. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. We thank you for your son. We thank you for today and all that it represents. And God, we ask in this moment, God, that you would anoint our ears, open our understanding. God, as we open the word, open our hearts. And God, we pray that you would speak words of life and transformation and power that would change us forever. God, that would bring life, that would bring hope, that would bring peace, that would bring joy. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Um, Several months ago, you know, I don't, for you, you probably realize this, but as a pastor, there's some things you realize really quickly. First of all, you realize there's a Sunday every week when you're in charge. <laughs> when you have to preach, it's like there's a Sunday every week. It's, it's an, like Sundays come along with an alarming regularity. You know what I'm saying? Like, wow, every seven days there's a Sunday. And every seven days you have to have something that's life-giving and relevant and hopeful and helpful. At least you hope. That's your goal anyway. And, and kind of like that, like every 365 days there's going to be an Easter, right? And um, so months ago I realized Easter is coming like I do every year. And I started saying, God, what would you want? me 
me to speak about this Easter? What would be helpful? What, what, would, what would bring hope? What would be encouraging? And, and I felt like the Holy Spirit brought me to this passage, a passage I've never preached before. And as I read over this passage, verse 21 was the verse that really just struck a chord in my heart because of the phrase and how it starts out. Verse 21, we had hoped. We had hope. And I could identify with that, with the emotion, I think, of that statement, with, with, with the expression that Scripture gave. I could identify with knowing what it felt like to have hope and to lose hope, to have experienced hope and then to feel like hope had died. And essentially, that's kind of where they're at. See, they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, and they had hoped that Jesus was going to deliver all of the Jews. But when Jesus died and was laid in that tomb, what was laid in that tomb with him apparently was their hope. And now they have left Jerusalem, headed back to Emmaus, and they're saying, you know what? We really had hoped. And I don't know about you, but I know what it is to hope in something and then it not turn out the way that I had hoped. I know what it is to have it. I know what it is to lose it. But today I want to talk about what I also know. And I also know you can have it. You can lose it. It can die, but God can resurrect it. And that's what I want to talk about today. So if you're ready to get work, you can take notes. We want to take notes on Easter. It's like the most holy day to take notes. So if you want to take notes, I have three points at home. You participate. I have three points today. One for the father, one for the son, one for the Holy Spirit, one for good Friday, one for Saturday, one for rest. Resurrection Sunday, everybody, three points. <laughs> and so write this down, point number one, before hope can be lost, it must be misplaced. You ever lost your keys? Right? Have you, has anybody ever lost their keys? And, is, and isn't it true you always lose your keys right before the time when you're really, really late for something? Like you never are looking for your keys when you're like, you know, I got an extra 30 minutes and not a big deal. We'll take the sofa apart or, you know, go through the kitchen. No, no. How many is like you're in the car, you're five minutes late. And then it's like, where are the keys? Right. And you're tempted to say words that you can't find in scripture and you're irritated. And <laughs> like, how many are so thankful that in this day and age, your phone, you can ping it from another device and make it make noise so you can find it? Is anyone else wear that function out? Because we can't get out of the driveway without just me. Okay, well, I'll just preach to me. You don't have to participate. Fine then. Acting like you never lost your phone. I got all my stuff together, preacher. Um, well, bless you. Um, but for those of us that lose stuff, <laughs> we understand that what, what most of the time happens when we lose something, we didn't lose it. We misplaced it. Therefore, we can't find it because it's not in the right place. And, and, and when I'm looking at this text, that's what I see about them and hope. Um, biblical hope, when the Bible talks about hope, it is different than when most of the time we express hope. In fact, we usually interchange hope with, the, with really what would be more accurate wish. I mean, when you talk to people in our culture, current vernacular, they're going to talk about, well, I hope it works out. Well, I you know, I, I hope I win the lottery someday. You know, I hope I get a new car. I hope he'll start acting right. I hope she'll start cooking. <laughs> I hope I find the right one. And really, it's more like I wish is really what the, it, because it's subjective. Most of the time when we're talking about expressing hope, we're, we're expressing a subjective desire. 
When the Bible talks about hope, it is expressing an objective reality, not a subjective desire. In other words, the Bible talks about hope as secure, as steadfast. In fact, Paul would even call it an anchor, not movable and not shakable. Because when the Bible talks about hope, it is not a desire that we have subjectively placed in something that we hope happens, but it is concrete and steadfast because it is tied to and anchored to not an event, not a happening, not a desire, but is anchored to the promise and the person of Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when the Bible talks about hope, it is talking about a joyful anticipation of good. It is saying that because I'm a person of faith and because I believe in Jesus and because God is who he said he is, there is always cause for hope because with God, we all are going to win in the end. Are you with me? And so hope is incredibly powerful. When you have hope, you have purpose. And when you have hope, you have reason. And when you have hope, you have, you have direction and you have endurance. Hope is powerful. You talk to prisoners of war, POWs, and they'll say, what kept me alive was hope. I, I believed I would make it through. I believed that I would see my family again. I, I believed that this wasn't my end. You can, you can even talk to people who are struggling with terminal diseases or sicknesses or those type of things, and somehow they'll beat it, and somehow they'll get through it, and somehow they'll make it. And when you talk to them, they'll just say, I just hoped. I believed. I hoped. And that's how I made Hope is powerful. According to the Bible, you can't have joy without hope. You can't have peace without hope. Romans 15, Paul said this way. He said, may the God of hope fill us with joy and peace. You can't have faith without hope for the substance for, for faith is the substance of things that you hope for. Hope is powerful. The other side of that coin is that if hope is so powerful, hope can also be dangerous. Do you know sometimes it feels risky to hope? Sometimes it's hard to hope because what we have all many times like Cleopas experienced is when you hope in something that doesn't happen, according to Proverbs 13, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So it's powerful, but it's so powerful it can also be dangerous. And when I lose hope, a lot of times I lose reason. I lose purpose. I can lose my way. In fact, that's what you see with Cleopas and his companion, Mr. and Miss Cleo, brother and sister Cleo, depend on your denomination. Because isn't it interesting when we pick up the text that they are leaving Jerusalem? I mean, theoretically, technically, they're going the wrong way. Everything that's about to happen is going to happen in Jerusalem. I mean, like dead people are going to get out of the grave. I don't know if you realize that with, with Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. It said the saints of old emptied their graves and started walking around Jerusalem. So people were encountering people that had already passed away. That'd be freaky. <laughs> if great granddad shows up for Easter, that's crazy. <laughs> right? And, and, and then Jesus is going to start appearing to people. He's going to walk through walls. I mean, he's going to cook fish and chips for the disciples. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that are going to happen, but all those things are actually going to happen in Jerusalem. But they have left Jerusalem, and they're walking the wrong way. 
It's kind of like Peter. Um, after the resurrection, Peter losing hope that he is still loved, accepted, and valued by Christ, losing hope that he is still called according to the purpose of Christ. He looks at his companions and says, hey, guys, I'm going fishing. Peter, you can't go fishing. You've got to preach on the day of Pentecost. Like, you have to be the rock that Jesus builds, like, you got to be the guy. You can't go. You can't go. Isn't it interesting when we lose hope? Many times we return to the things and places that God originally called us out of. Isn't that true? In fact, sometimes I think this is why we shouldn't be so judgmental of, of other believers and judgmental of people because sometimes we look and we say, man, they're going back into another bad relationship or they're going back into this or they're, they're man, we grew up old school church. They're backsliding. This is two weeks in a row they missed prayer meeting. Because Sister Bertha, better than you, was always counting how many prayer meetings. That's the only reason she came to prayer meeting was to count which prayer meeting you didn't come to. <laughs> I'm not going to take a poll of how many went to church with Sister Bertha better than you, but I'm saying some of us did. But I don't think we should criticize because a lot of times the reason people turn around and go the wrong way is not even because they want to, not even because they think there's life in it. They've just lost hope in anything else. And that's where you see Cleopas and Sister Cleo is, is they, have, they have lost hope. And, and when I looked at the text, you know what I realized? Because, I mean, now, spoiler alert, we know what they didn't know. We know Jesus is actually, like, standing there talking to them. We know that he's actually risen. And, and so we, we, got the, we got the book, right? They didn't have the book. We, we have the book. Um, so, spoiler alert, we know. But what I thought was interesting is the fact that you're, like, for us, reading it from our lens, you're watching this on a screen, you're like, he's right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's him right there. And I realized that their hope less, not because hope wasn't present. They're hopeless because of an assessment, not a reality. They have made a judgment that there's no reason to hope. They have a perception and a perspective and an assessment that says there is no longer a reason to hope. In fact, you know what I thought was so crazy about this text? is because they said, we had hoped he was the one that would, this verse 21, we had hoped he was the one that was, would redeem Israel. And they said, and, and what's more, it's, it's the third day. Well, I think we all know what happened on the third day. Right? I don't know, like, here's my only concern about brother and sister Cleo. I don't know how your mind works, but this is me. If I were a follower of Jesus... And, and on, after he's, his, he's crucified and buried, and on the third day, the women come back and say, we can't find him. I don't care if it was the end of my reservation. I'd gotten on the phone with Hilton and got one more night. I'd be like, I can't leave Jerusalem until we figure out where the body is. I don't know if it's because old school, I watched Columbo, or nowadays I love murder mysteries and those type of things. But, um, <laughs> but I think for me, I'd had to, get, I'd had to extend my reservation one, one more, one more night, but they didn't. And so they left on the third day. I think sometimes we lose hope because we check out just a little bit too early. I, I think sometimes for especially believers, but even people, we, we, we lose hope, not because there's not a reason to hope, 
We lose hope because we put a period where God is trying to put a comma and we check out just a little bit too soon. In fact, they lost hope, number one, because they put hope on a clock. It's the third day, and so we headed home. Wow, if you'd gone three and a half days, brother, you could have saved yourself some walking. But, but how many are guilty of this? See, see, remember, before hope is lost, it has to be misplaced. Placed on something that was never intended to sustain or hold it. And the reason they're hopeless is, number one, they misplaced it because they placed their hope on a clock. Think about, you remember Sarah, Abraham and Sarah? Um, Abraham was the father of our faith, and God came to them, and they were buried, and they said, you're going to have a child. Remember Abraham and Sarah? And they're like, praise God, we're going to have a child. And then they go to get in the nursery ready, and they get all those little plastic things you got to put in the plugs, in the tent. <laughs> Right. And the things that hold the cabinets shut. So, you know, you don't smush any fingers or and they go and they're baby proof in the tent. <laughs> and, and then year one goes by. And then year two goes by and year three and four and five and seven and eight and ten and eleven. And at year eleven, Sarah says, I don't think I don't think I think it's too late. I don't think God's going to do it. And she comes up with this great plan. We should help God out. Time has expired. Now it's up to us. Abraham, why don't you sleep with Hagar and see if we can have the promise that way? Why did they lose hope? Because they put God on a clock. Another thing we do is we, we put God in a box. In other words, we set parameters or restrictions on how God is going to work. Remember Mary and Martha in Scripture? Lazarus is sick, and they send an email to Jesus <laughs> they, D, they DM him from Instagram and like, Jesus, you got to come. The one, they're like tagging him and Lazarus in the post. They're like, you got to get here. The one that you love is sick. And then Jesus doesn't get there in the time allotted. And the truth was, what really happened is they were calling for a healer because they said, if God's going to move, he's going to come and heal him. So it was outside of their box for Jesus to resurrect Lazarus. So they lost hope, not because God wasn't a safe place to put their hope. They lost hope, not because God wasn't working or God wasn't going to move. They lost hope because they put a box and said, if God's going to work, he's going to work inside these restraints, constrictions, limitations, and parameters. They misplaced their hope. And then one more, you place your hope in an expected outcome which really gets us back to Cleopas and his wife, an expected outcome in that as disciples, as Jews, they believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they believed Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government, that he was going to be a conquering king, not a suffering servant. And because they had an expectation of how Jesus was going to work, when Jesus didn't work that way, they lost hope. Hope is powerful. It is powerful, and before it's lost, typically it's misplaced. And I don't know about you, but I am guilty of all three. There have been times where I have put God on a clock, and there have been times where I have put God in a box, and there have been times that I have based my hope on a expected outcome, and all of those are places where we misplace 
our hope because hope is so powerful because hope is so precious. You can't put it on a clock. You can't put it in a box and you can't base it on an expected outcome. No, because hope is so amazing and so powerful and so precious. It can only be based in someone who is outside of time, who knows no bounds and is more powerful than any outcome. You can't base hope on a thing. You have, you have to base hope on a person. You can't place your hope in something. You have to place your hope in someone. That's why the Bible calls him the God of hope. That's what we see in Abraham's life. Romans 4, it says, against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed not in something, but in someone. He believed in God. And most of the time we lose hope, not because God's not there, not because God's not powerful, not because God has all of a sudden lost or left us or lost his plan. We lose hope because we put it in the wrong place. And we base it on things that can't hold it. Before hope is, is lost, it has to be misplaced. Here's the second thing. Hopelessness isn't the result of hope being absent, but rather it not being recognized. A lot of times, hopelessness doesn't mean that there is no hope. It just means we're not recognizing what's there. That's why I love this story. Because you got to get this, like, I don't know, how many, ex do we have any external processors in the room? Come on, you can be honest. Just a few of us. I think some people are lying, but that's okay. Um, so in, in our house, I'm an external processor. Now, Mariah is also an external processor. We are the external processors of our house, okay? Um, uh, Briggs doesn't even need processing time. He has the fastest processor in the world, and it's all internal. And in three seconds, it's like, I'm good. And, and Mariah and I are like, but you can't be good because we haven't talked it all out yet. And, and Luke is somewhere, he's kind of somewhere in the middle. Like, he will indulge our processing for a while, and then he gets tired. <laughs> and so, uh, but Mariah and I, we need several hours to work out every angle of everything that's going on. So when we have a family meeting, it's always funny because we have a, we'll have a family meeting, we'll be talking about something and Briggs will be the first one, like, I'm gone, he's upstairs and Luke will indulge us for a while and then he gets on his phone or something and then, then he's gone. And three hours later, Mariah and I are still sitting there and we are processing <laughs> and we are figuring it out because until we've looked at it from every angle, until yeah. we've considered every possibility, three times, we're not done, right? Where are my external processes? I love you people. You understand me. The rest of you, I'm not sure how that works for you. Um, I'm glad it does. Maybe I wish I was that way, but it just, anyways. I think Brother Cleo and Sister Cleo with external processes because they're talking and they're walking on this road. And I think they're trying to, to reconcile the events of Jesus' life with the events of the last three days. I think they're trying to make that make sense. And so I think they're walking alone and they're like, man, you remember that time like the blind man came and like spit in the dirt and like made mud and then stuck it in his eyes and then his eyes were open. That was like, that was sick. That was like really cool. And, and remember that time when, when the 5,000 people were there and he was teaching and they all got hungry. And so he found this little boy's Long John Silver's Happy Meal kind of value meal thing. And, and he turned that into food for everybody. And there was 12 baskets that remained even after. And you remember that time Peter talked about how they walked on water together. That was so cool. And remember Jairus's daughter and how she died because some woman was grabbing his clothes, but then she got healed. Then Jairus' daughter died, but then he went and raised Jairus. And I think they're just processing all that. And then they're trying to get back to it. But then remember on Friday when he was arrested, 
And he was mocked and he was spit upon and he was beaten. And he was whipped and he was judged and he was condemned. And then he had to carry um, this cross out of Jerusalem to Golgotha. And then they put those big spikes in his feet and in his hands. And then eventually he died between two thieves. And then they took him down and they put him in a tomb and they sealed it. And I think they're trying to say, wait a second, like he fulfilled so much prophecy and he spoke with such authority and he did these incredible things, but we were expecting a conquering king and, and he was, he suffered and, and he died. And I think they're trying to process it. And it has brought them, the Bible says they're downcast and it has brought them to probably the darkest place in their faith ever. Maybe the darkest moment in their life. It is a hopeless place. And here's what I love about it. In the middle of their most hopeless moment, here comes sneaky Jesus. What are you guys talking about? And then they start explaining to hope why they don't have any hope. Now, I know you've never been guilty of this. We, we call it prayer. <laughs> when we invite God to explain to him why he's not doing a good job being God. Don't look at me all holy and religious. I will come <laughs> off this stage and pray for you. <laughs> Let a spirit of honesty hit him, Jesus. Because I know you've never been guilty of this, but some of us have been guilty of talking with God about how it's over and explaining to him it's over and there's really nothing else that can be done. I know it's just me, but this is healing for my soul. It's like therapy today. And so thank you for listening so intently. And what's amazing to me is that here comes sneaky Jesus to the middle of their most hopeless moment and he walks right up in to their hopelessness. And you know what else I love? What else I love is, is and I don't want to be disrespectful to brother and sister Cleo because I'm going to see him in heaven. And I don't want them to be upset with me. Um, but a core, you know, as, as we look at the biblical text, I guess a respectful way to make my point would be they seem to be less significant characters to the biblical text because this is the only mention of them in the Bible at all in Luke chapter 24. And it's just one mention, this kind of crazy encounter. In fact, Sister Cleo is not even mentioned. We're just assuming that this is his wife. I mean, it could have been his brother. I don't know. But we're going to say brother and sister Cleo because it sounds good. And so, so but, but what I love about it is, again, without being mean to them, they seem to be less significant people in the Bible going to an insignificant place in the Bible. In fact, that place doesn't exist only in ruins today. And, and I think that's amazing to me because if you are here and you're in a hopeless moment and you have ever thought I'm not important enough for God to reveal himself to me or I'm not special enough for God to show up in my moment or God doesn't know my zip code and I'm certain that he doesn't know where I'm at. Listen, Jesus tracked them down without a GPS, without a Live 360 app. He tracked them down on the middle of a road on a seven mile journey. Some seemingly less significant people headed to an inconsequential place and there and only there. Think about 
about it. On resurrection day, I'm pretty sure he had a full agenda. It's like, I got to rise. I got to go to heaven. I got to come back down. I got to walk through some walls. You know, I mean, he's got a busy day. And yet we find Jesus taking, if you will, a detour outside of Jerusalem to track down two seemingly insignificant people headed to an insignificant place to walk right up in the middle of their hopelessness. And I'm just saying what I love about it is it proves to me that hope comes for every person. That he comes for everybody. Not a certain socioeconomic class, not a certain race, not, not, a, not a certain influence or position. He doesn't come for people who are pastors or leaders. No, he comes for everybody. He knows your zip code. He knows where he's tracking you. That's why he's sneaky, Jesus. <laughs> he's tracking you. And so Jesus comes and it's, it's kind of crazy that hope is actually there, but they, but they don't see it. I mean, think about it. Hope is in their midst, but they don't recognize it. The question is, why don't they recognize it? Here's, here's the reason. <laughs> because God didn't work the way they thought he should work. See, in verse 21, it said, we had hoped this was the one who would redeem Israel. And so for them, redeeming Israel meant the overthrow of the Roman government and the liberation of the Jewish people. And because, because they misdiagnosed the problem, they misapplied a solution. See, they thought the problem was Rome. God knew the problem was death. When man fell... It wasn't Rome that entered the world. It was sin and death. Sin made a way for death to enter, and now all died because all sin. Now, they didn't have the New Testament like we do, but that's the reality of it. But because they thought Rome was the problem, then they misapplied a solution, which was the overthrow of the Roman government. The problem is, had God actually worked their way, he would have liberated Jews, but they'd still been dead. He would have freed them, but they'd just been free dead people. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to America. <laughs> and so Jesus was like, hey, I, didn't, I, I came to free you, but from a lot more than Rome. I came to deliver you, but from a lot more than Rome. But the reason they didn't recognize hope was because they didn't know what God was actually working on. He was working on a level that was different than their expectation. He was working on something far greater than what they were expecting. And because God was actually doing a greater miracle than what they were expecting, but they couldn't see it, they lost hope. Not because God wasn't working, but because they couldn't recognize what he was doing. <laughs> See, Jesus said, because death is the problem, then I had to die. This is a great, if you can get this one. Because Jesus said, in order to gain dominion over it, I couldn't go around it. I had to walk through it. Yeah. 
And sometimes he will take you through something, not because he's not there, not because he doesn't love you, not because he doesn't want to help you, but because he's working on something that is on a greater scale, a grander level. It's actually a greater miracle. And because he wants you to have authority over it, he walks you through it. Isaiah said, when you pass through the waters, when you pass through the river, it's not going to sweep you away. When you pass through the fire, the flame is not going to kindle. He didn't say when I take you around it or fly you over it. He said, when I, when I pass, when you pass through it, because God said, I will many times, we, we sit here all the time and we're like, we want hope. We want hope. Yet Paul tells us that if you want hope, then, then there's going to have to be some suffering. And, and this is why he said, we have hope, then we have tribulation, then our character is produced, right? And then we have joy, and then we have hope again, right? And so, so many times we're saying, I want hope. And we're saying, I want hope. The hope is I never have to go through anything bad. And God's saying, the way that I actually give you dominion over things is to walk with you through things. And I'm actually working on a greater hope, a greater miracle, a greater revelation of who I am, if you can just trust me in the meantime. But we lose hope, not because it's absent, but because it's not recognized. Here's the third thing. You write this down. Hope isn't found in what you see, but how you see. Um, I think the reason we lose hope is not what we see, but how we see. Um, I don't know about you, but um, it is hard for me to, like, I appreciate the blessing of vision. I don't know if you're like this. Like I, I like watching sunsets. I like looking at flowers. I mean, I, you know, I mean, you know, I like beauty and all those things. And you know, and I also like hunting. And it's so hard not to shoot something if you can't see it. And um, <laughs> I'll get an email from somebody in California. Uh, but anyways, um, I love California. God bless you. May the Lord be with you. But here, the Lord said, take and eat, and I do my part. And um, <laughs> so I love the, the blessing and the benefit of sight. But with sight also comes some liability because when you watch certain things, it's hard to get it out of your head. And in this case, they had watched Jesus suffer, and that's all they could see. And isn't it true in our lives, when we see suffering, it seems to steal hope. One of the questions I get asked a lot is, hey, if God is so good, why is there suffering? I'm not going to answer that. Come back next week. But, um, but they're going <laughs> to leave you on a cliffhanger like a Netflix series. <laughs> but anyways, um, but, but the truth of the matter is, the reason so many times we struggle with hope and hopelessness is because of what we see. And when we see suffering, and when we experience suffering, whether it's our suffering or someone else's suffering, sometimes it's hard to get hope. I mean, it is hard to maintain hope if you watch, like, I don't know who came up with the idea of 24-hour news, but sometimes I'm not sure it was God. That was the nicest way I could say that. I filtered so well. I'm so proud of myself today. <laughs> I went through nine very harsh things and came to something that was somewhat palatable. Um, but anyways, I'm not sure it's God because you can't watch 24-hour news and end the day full of hope. Right. Nothing against the news, but have you noticed they don't, 
Okay, I can't just, I, Lord, just help me, Jesus. I'm just going to go on with the message. But I don't know, I mean, because when we don't report on bad stuff, nobody watches. I mean, every now and then they'll put a little warm and fluffy something in at the end for two minutes, like, oh, that was nice, you know, after you told us the world's going to end next week. And, <laughs> but, but I'm just saying, uh, unfortunately, hopelessness seems to be connected to, to what, what we see. So then what is, what is the answer then? What is, what is the answer the answer then can't be necessarily what we see, but how we see. And so in this text, Jesus is trying to resurrect hope in these disciples. He's trying to, to bring to life their hope again. I mean, we have the problem. We had hoped, and it is to this, to this phrase, we had hoped, to this emotion, to this state, to this place, we had hoped that Jesus appears, and he is trying to resurrect hope. And the question then I, I ask myself that maybe you would ask you is, okay, how did he bring hope back to life in these? Because he didn't immediately say, hello, I'm Jesus. Like to me, if I were playing sneaky Jesus, this would have been a one-minute deal. Like, they're sitting here, and they're strolling down memory lane trying to make sense. I'd have just said, boo, I'm him. Yeah. And they'd be like, no way. And I'd be like, Yahweh. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, I mean, it would have been. <laughs> just pray for me. It would have been like a short, a short conversation. It would have been a short conversation, but Jesus doesn't do that. And I started looking at the method of sneaky Jesus. Because what he does is he starts explaining to them suffering is necessary for glory. And he said, the reason you missed it is you saw suffering, but you didn't understand. And so he takes them back through the scriptures, probably verses like Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. Chastisement, the broadest piece was on him by his stripes. We were healed. And so he takes them back through scriptures and passages from the law and the prophets to show them that the Messiah would actually endure suffering, but suffering was the prelude to a greater glory. And as he's doing that, verse 32 tells us what the, the, the experience they had as he is walking them through that, the, the text and the understanding that, that, that with, with suffering comes glory. And a lot of times you won't see glory without suffering. And, and it says this in verse 32, they said, didn't our hearts, this is them recapping after sneaky Jesus disappears, but they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? And I realized there is the secret to hope. Because Paul said to the, to the Ephesians, he said, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened. You've got another set of eyes. And do you know why he prayed that? I pray the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you would be able to see the hope that you're called to. <laughs> you can't see hope with your head. Hope is only seen with your heart. And as long as you're using your head and the eyes that are in your head, you're going to struggle with hopelessness. But in your hopeless moments, if you will allow God to open the eyes of your heart. And you know how he does that? Romans 5, 5 says, now this hope is not a disappointing fantasy. 
Because we can now, look at this. Now, how do we have a, we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Here's what he said. What God uses to open the eyes of your heart is love. That's why this day is so significant. This day is so significant because there has never been a more powerful display of love than what the last three days represent for us. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. No. But that he loved us and gave his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. It is the most, it is the most incredible unexplainable, unfathomable display of love that ever exists. And when you see love and love is poured into your heart, it opens the eyes of your heart to see the hope that is set before you. See, Jesus walking on the road, he starts explaining suffering to get them to glory. They still don't recognize him. Then they invite him into their home. And then he grabs bread, which was really kind of out of character, it is really the, the host would have been the one serving the bread. But he grabs bread. Now check this. You got to see this, all right? So he has explained suffering. They still don't know it's him. But he's explained suffering. He's explained from the word of God how the Messiah had to suffer. And then he grabs the bread at the table and he breaks it. And I think in that moment, they noticed scars they hadn't noticed before. And all of a sudden, they saw suffering through the lens of their heart. Not as their king had been conquered, but as their king had conquered because he loved them so much, he was willing to walk. This is the best I have preached this all weekend, and you better appreciate it. That the king had conquered, and because of his love for them, he had endured not his suffering, but their suffering. Not his cross, but their cross. And all of a sudden, they realized, this is how he conquered death, and he conquered it for us. He didn't die as our king, necessarily. He died as us, not just for us. He took our place, went to our cross, and with the eyes of their heart burning and open inside, all of a sudden, suffering made sense that Jesus had done it for them, and the love of that moment, and the love represented by the death, burial, resurrection, I think, flooded their hearts and brought hope to them. Not the suffering they saw with their eyes, but the love they experienced in their heart. (laughs) One more thing and I'll let you go. (laughs) When when I looked at this, I thought, well, okay, how did, how did hope, like, how did hope come? Like, this is how they opened it. But what I realized is the, the experience of this flood of love and hope happens inside their house. And what was interesting in the text is they're like walking home. I don't know if you ever walked with friends home and you know, and you get to this one's driveway and they go home and you go on down to, to your driveway. And, and that's kind of how I see it because brother and sister Cleo are walking with Jesus and then they get to their house and they're about to turn in. And it, the Bible says Jesus continued as if he was going to keep going. And they said, wait, wait, why don't you come in to our house? And I realized this. I realized the grace of hope. 
Because so many times we're thinking, I have to gain hope. I have to get hope. I have to achieve hope. I have to work myself. I got a fake hope on Instagram. But hope doesn't come through the power of your getting and gaining and striving. Hope comes by invitation only. Hope comes when you invite it, when you invite him. He continued as if he was going to go, and they said, wait, come inside. And I just thought this weekend, if you're struggling with hopelessness, if you've been through things you don't understand, trust me, I've been through things. But if you've been through things you don't understand and you're struggling, I would say this, you don't have to work yourself up. You don't have to try harder. You just have to offer. You have to issue an invitation. And sneaky Jesus, the God of hope who will fill your heart with joy and peace, will walk right into your life and flood you with his love and his hope and his joy and his peace and his faith. Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise? (laughs) Why don't you stand with me today? God, thank you so much for hope. Thank you so much for hope, God. God, thank you for who you are. God, I pray in this moment, God, for people watching online or in this room who need hope, God, that the God of hope would fill them. With your heads bowed and and at home, don't please stay with us at home. And if you don't have to leave, please don't leave just yet. We got a couple things we want to do, but but right now, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to just ask you. I want everyone to participate. Would you even online where you're at, whoever, wherever, will you take just a moment and just ask God what He is saying to you? I, I just trust that He'll speak to you. But just ask God. You know, God, what are you, what are you saying to me? And God, I just pray you'd speak to every person. And while you're listening for the Holy Spirit, while you're listening for God to speak, and I trust that he will, with their heads bowed, just in a moment of reverence, I want to ask if there's anyone in this room that you need a relationship with God. Like, I'm not asking if you've been to a church service or was raised in what denomination. But I'm asking about your personal, individual relationship with Jesus. Do you have one? Is it current? Is it up to date? Like, if you had to catch up with Jesus today, would you be catching up from yesterday? Or would you have to go back a year or two to get him caught up? I'm asking, do you have a relationship with Jesus? You say, well, how do I know? How how do I know? Well, the Bible says the Holy Spirit draws us. And so if you feel a prompting, I call it a nudge or a prompting, something in your heart or even maybe in the pit of your stomach, it might be God saying, hey, this is me, and I want a relationship with you. And so I want to pray. Or maybe you're just here and you're like, hey, I just need to invite God into my life. Like I really haven't allowed God to come in. He's not really a part, whatever it is. And I want to invite him in. I just want to pray with you. I don't want to embarrass you. wouldn't call you out. Doesn't. Nothing like that. But whether you're at home, whether you're online, wherever you're watching from, whether you're in the room, I'm going to ask you to do something before we pray. And this is for you and God, not really anybody else. But 
I think it's significant and that with our heads bowed, no one's looking around, not going to embarrass anyone at all. But if you need a relationship with Jesus, if you want a relationship with Jesus, whether, whether you're watching online or whether you're in this room, I just want you to lift your hand up where you're at. Say, hey, that's me. And you're lifting it up to God. You're saying, God, here I am. This is what I want. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Awesome. God bless you. Thank you. God, this is me. I want a relationship with you. And even at home, if you're all alone in your living room, just lift your hand up and say, God, here I am. This is what I want. I want a relationship with you. Now, I'm going to, if you lifted your hand, or even if you need to lift your hand and you didn't, I'm going to pray with you in just a minute. But before I do, I'm going to ask everyone in the room to grab that response card again. And if you're watching online, this is where they're going to put a link in the chat. And you click on it. It's going to open another window and another tab. And I want you to go. And I want you to, if you're online, you'll fill out the entirety of the card after the experience, if you would. But I want you right now to go to the ABCD. So I want everybody to find the ABCD on the card. Remember, we're all playing along. Even if you're a pathway person, even if you've been here 100 years, we're all going to play along because this is important. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to mark A, B, C, or D based on the corresponding definition that I give you, right? So this is just an inventory to help us help you. So A, B, C, or D, here's what A is. A is I have a vibrant, growing relationship with God. And they're going to put it on the screen for you so you can see it. But A is I have a vibrant, growing relationship with God, okay? I have a vibrant, growing relationship with Jesus. In other words, we're up to date. We're current. Have my Devo. God's working in my life. I'm taking next steps. Life is good, right? B is my relationship with Jesus has grown stagnant or even regressed. In other words, um, you know, maybe COVID hit and I haven't been to church and I haven't been to life group and I haven't really been keeping up with Jesus or my Devos. And like, I love Jesus and I'm a believer, but truthfully, my relationship is not where it needs to be. It's not where it has been. This, I just need to acknowledge that, that it's, it's grown stagnant. C is this. If you lifted your hand today, whether you're in this room or online, this is C. Today I'm choosing a relationship with Jesus, and I want you to mark that. Or if you needed to, re, you know, if you needed to raise your hand, you didn't, it's fine. Just mark it C. Today I'm choosing a relationship with Jesus. And then D, and I love D. And I want you to be honest if this is you, okay? Because this is the reason we started Pathway Church. D is, I do not currently desire, I'm not ready to surrender my life to God. And if that's you, I want you to mark it. If you're a guest or if you've been here, it doesn't matter. If that's you online, I want you to mark it. You came with a friend, whatever the case may be, and, and you're like, hey, I, I just don't desire a relationship with God. It's not something I'm interested in right now. This is why we started Pathway Church, for people to come. Like, you don't have to be a believer to come. You don't have to you don't have to believe in Jesus to come here. You don't have to understand church. You don't have to be a religious person. This is why we started Pathway, because we want a place where people come and actually just kind of explore the idea of faith and explore God that would be life-giving and relevant and fun. And, and you, you just come and say, you know, the coffee's pretty good and, and I like the band. You know, it's fine with us, you know. Um, and so if you're D, then I want you to mark D. And I want you to mark A, B, C, or D. And again, if you're in this room, if you're online, you'll complete the entire form. Uh, at this time, and then hit submit. If you're in the room, you're a pathway person, offering box. If you're a guest, take it to the tent. We would love to meet you. And so now I want to pray. If we bow our heads again, I want to pray for those that lifted their hands, 
and said, today I'm choosing Jesus. And maybe some of you now that we've gone through that A, B, C, D, maybe you're like, you know, truthfully, I need to choose Jesus today. And that would be awesome. So you can participate with us. And we're going to pray a prayer. The words aren't necessarily important. I would invite you to use your own words. It's the heart that matters. But it would be something like this. It would be Jesus. I believe you're the son of God. And I believe that you came and I believe that you died and I believe that you rose again and you did that for me. And I ask you in this moment to forgive me of all the wrong that I've done, to as your word says, make me a new creation and to help me to follow you the rest of my life. I am choosing a relationship with you today. And I pray God for those that prayed that prayer, whether in the room or online. God, I pray they would sense your presence as never before. God, I pray you'd make yourself known to them. And God, I do pray, I do pray that they would follow you the rest of their lives. God, I pray for the people today who are struggling with hope. God, maybe they've misplaced it. God, maybe they just don't recognize it and it's really there. Or maybe, God, they're just looking with the wrong set of eyes. God, today, I pray the eyes of their heart would be open. God, that your love would flood their souls and give them a hope that does not disappoint. God, we thank you again. Your son is risen. He is alive. And we have hope. Hope is here. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can you give Jesus one more, one more praise? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. We end all of our worship experiences with a time of prayer for anyone who needs prayer for anything. And if you need prayer or you lifted your hand, we would love to invite you at this time to come and let us pray with you. If you're online, you can text my pathway prayer to 77977 and someone will pray with you. But man, it's been great to have you in the house of God, praying for you, praying his hope would flood you, praying you're having, pray you have an amazing resurrection Sunday. If you need prayer, please come. Everyone else, God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you next weekend.